Please open your Bibles to the book of Philippians chapter 3. We'll be looking at the entire chapter of Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3. Please join with me in prayer. Lord God, we come before thee, humbled in thy presence, O God. We thank thee for who thou art, what thou hast done. Lord, please help us in the hearing of thy word preached and in the preaching of thy word to reverently receive with humility and joy thy word. Mm. Holy Spirit, please apply thy word. Please help me in preaching and dividing thy word and help these thy people in receiving thy word and applying it to their own hearts. Lord, we thank Thee for the work of Christ, Lord Jesus. We stand in awe of Thee, and we thank Thee, O Father, for sending Thy Son for us and for giving us to Thy Son, Thy only begotten Son, who reveals to us Thy glory, reveals to us Thy purposes, Thy love toward us. Our Father, we need Thee. Lord Jesus, without thee we can do nothing. But, O oh, blessed Spirit, by thy power, we can live this Christian life in faith and by faith, granted to us by thy graciousness, to walk in the paths of righteousness for thy namesake, O oh Lord. Lord, we thank thee for thy word. We ask for help. We submit to thee and love thee. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Philippians chapter 3. You will forgive me. This will not be the most eloquent of things I have ever preached. It was laid upon me late last night to go through this chapter to reorient us on what truly matters. What is our greatest hope? What is our greatest joy in this life And what defines us as human beings bought, purchased, and given to God by his Son. Restored, adopted, beloved in the beloved, Christ Jesus. Philippians chapter 3, the Apostle Paul writes, Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you, to me indeed, is not grievous. But for you it is safe. Beware of dogs. Beware of evil workers. Beware of the concision. For we are the circumcision which worship God in the spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. Though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if any other man thinketh that he hath whereof he might trust in the flesh, I more circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, 
and Hebrew of the Hebrews, as touching the law, a Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. But what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ, and be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith, that I may know him, and the power of his resurrection, and the fellowship of his sufferings, being made conformable unto his death, if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead, not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after, if that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before. I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Let us therefore, as many as be perfect, be thus minded. And if anything, if and if anything ye be otherwise minded, God shall reveal even this unto you. Nevertheless, whereto we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule. Let us mind the same thing. Brethren, be followers of me, together of me, and mark them which walk so as ye have us for an example. For many walk, of whom I have told you often, and now tell you even weeping, that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is in their shame, who mind earthly things. For our conversation is in heaven, from whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change our vile body, that is, that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body, according to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. Thus far the reading of God's word. Amen. The Apostle Paul had much to boast about in the flesh. Throughout all of his epistles, he points to what is truly our saving grace. What is truly our salvation. Jesus Christ, faith in Him and Him alone. We who were dead in the trespasses and sins in which we once walked, serving the desires of the flesh, walking after the course of this present age, having our Father be Satan and not God, the Prince of the power of the air that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. That is who we all once were. And Paul, if anyone can speak to the blessing of being God's people, as he lays out in these verses before us, if anyone would be deceived, and he once was, it would be Paul. If anyone could be caught up in what he can do in this life to attain righteousness, it would be Paul. And yet, Paul, time and time again, points us unto his salvation and our salvation, the common salvation of the saints, Jesus Christ. In the previous chapters, Paul lays forward what is our hope in Christ. 
especially chapter 2, the Carmen Christi, that great passage wherein we see how the Lord Jesus emptied himself, though being God, he became man, and died even the death of the cross for us. And thus, the Father has highly exalted him, given him the name above every name, that at his name every knee should bow, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. And we partake in that. We partake in that great calling to be his people, to be his sheep, to follow after him. That is our, our identity, nothing else. That is our identity, nothing else. Not our nationality, not our political stances, not our sin, which clings so closely to us. Not our occupation or profession, but Christ, Christ, Christ. That is our identity. Be found in him. Notice verse 1. He says, Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. After laying forth that Carmen Christi, after laying forth the fact that he had been sick, he was locked away in prison during this epistle, the writing of this epistle, suffering much for the cause of Christ, for the gospel. Yet he says, Rejoice, for I rejoice. We read about in this same epistle how he said, I've learned to be content in all things. Whether I'm prospering outwardly and the gospel is going forth and my ministry seems to be blessed and my business seems to be blessed as a tent maker working for myself, my own business. Great. Christ is Lord. Christ is my hope. If I'm languishing here in this prison cell, Christ is my hope. Christ is sufficient for me. That Christ who emptied himself. Therefore, brethren, rejoice in the Lord, he says. The Philippians were undergoing some suffering as well. The Philippians had false teachers in their midst. Funny how right away false teaching appears in the church. The Judaizers specifically. Those who claimed to be Messianic Jews, if you will. Who embraced Christ, but also kept the law. Christ gets us started. Christ accomplishes the work that we can't make up. We do some, Christ does some. You must be circumcised to be saved. Being circumcised equals being in Christ for the Judaizers. They wanted to combine. And remember, in Galatians, he tells the Galatian church, the church in Galatia, who, is, who hath bewitched thee that you should depart from the gospel? For there is no other gospel. And if any comes and preaches some other gospel, some other Christ that tells you to be bound to the law, to be enslaved to the law once again, let him be accursed. Accursed. For he is cut off from Christ. His God is his belly. He serves his own pleasures and lusts and desires. Therefore rejoice that ye be in Christ. This is how Paul begins this next chapter. He continues to write the same things to you. To me indeed is not grievous, but for you it is safe. What are these same things? The warning about false teachers. The laying forth of the elementary principles of Christ again and again. The deep things of God as well as we saw in the Carmen Christi. To lay these forth, to continue to warn you about the false teachers. To continue to lay forth the truths of Christ and our great glory that we have in him is not grievous to me. 
Indeed, a true minister of Christ loves to lay forth the plain teachings of the gospel time and time again. If I were given simply one text to preach on for the rest of my ministry, I know that I could make it a benefit both to myself and it would be a great joy to myself as well as a benefit to you all, my hearers, my congregation. The Word of God is rich, everlasting, deep. We can plumb the depths. As Charles Spurgeon once said, the Word of God is a place where the lamb can wade and the elephant can swim. It is deep. It is rich. It is inexhaustible. It is the paths of righteousness. To write the same things is not grievous to Paul. And indeed, it is safe. Is safe to the Philippians, and it is safe to us to lay forth again and again the teachings of Christ. We can never hear the plain simplicity of the gospel too many times. We can never hear the riches of Christ revealed in the gospel too many times. And we can never be warned too often of false teaching. I was reading in Ryle this week, J.C. Ryle. He brought up the point that We should not think of false teaching as this small thing that we often do. Well, it's fine. He's just wrong on this or that. He lays forth and reminds us that, no, this is a grievous thing against the Lord to have false doctrine, to have false teaching. It's grievous. It's a wicked sin and rebellion against him, especially those who know better, especially those who have been corrected. For them, for them to continue on in their false teaching is sin, and grievous sin at that. So it is safe for us to, again, tread over those same paths which we have gone over so many times before. That who is Christ? What has he done? Why is his name Jesus? What is our only comfort in life and in death? What is the chief end of man? These questions we must again and again examine, lay forth, and know. The answers to. It's not grievous for a minister to do so. If a minister just wants to teach some new thing, and if the people he preaches to just want to hear a new thing, and their ears itch and tingle to hear some new thing being taught like the Athenians, then we know that congregation is in dire straits. Dire straits. We need the same old paths of the gospel tread time and time again until they are well-worn paths, well-worn paths in our hearts, in our minds, and in our churches. Next he says, beware of the dogs. So he's laying out these fundamental things again, these same things which he taught them in person and now is writing about. Beware of dogs. Beware of evil workers. Beware of the concision. Beware of dogs. It's a pretty harsh term, isn't it? To call someone a dog. But there's more to it than this. It's not that Paul's just being real tough here and saying, these people are dogs. Dogs indeed they are for teaching such heresy and wickedness. But there's more to it than this. For the Judaizers claimed that we must hold to the law of Moses entirely. All of the intricacies and commandments. We must have circumcision as well as faith in Christ. We must combine both the Old Testament code and Christ in order to have salvation. And what was the main term that the Jews used for the Gentiles? Dogs. Even Jesus calls the Gentiles dogs. When that woman comes to him who was a Gentile, 
says, Lord, heal my daughter. She's, she is demon-possessed. It is vexing her. She's in a strait and even coming to an end. What does Jesus say? It is not meat to take the bread from the children and give it to the dogs. She says, yea, Lord. But even the dogs, the little dogs under the table of the master, feed on the crumbs that fall down. And he says, I have not found such faith in all of Israel. So dogs was a common term for, from the Jews of the Gentiles. What is Paul doing here? Being an Hebrew of Hebrews. Well-versed in the law. He was well-equipped to deal with these Judaizers. Look at God's providence. Oh, what providence. That God would raise up a Paul to deal with one of the most extreme errors right off the bat in Christianity. He knew the law. He was blameless in his walking with the law. He was taught up by Gamaliel. He was raised up for this very purpose to know what the law was and how to, to, how to meet these enemies where they were and defeat them and slay them with the true gospel. But he calls them dogs. He says, you think that you are the true Jews. They say that they are the true Jews who have embraced the Messiah and hold to this code. No, they are the dogs. They are the dogs. Beware of evil workers. They claim to have good works, but their works are actually evil. And then he says, beware of the concision. What is the concision? They claimed circumcision, remember? They claimed circumcision. You have to connect this last word with the following words in verse 3. For we are the circumcision, which worship God and the Spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. So concision... They're, they're claiming circumcision is the way. Circumcision is necessary. He says, that's just mutilation. That's what that word concision means. A mutilation. A hacking to, get, a hacking to pieces. Mangled. That's all it is. We are the circumcision, Paul says. Which worship God in spirit and in truth. Which place no confidence in the flesh. But rejoice in the Lord Jesus Christ. We are the circumcision. We are true Israel. Not just because he was an Hebrew of Hebrews. But because he had embraced what Christ came to offer. And Christ himself. So too we. As I look out among all of you. I see Jews of Jews. And real Israelites before me. One tree. One branch. We are true Israel. We are true Israel. We are God's people. Spiritual Israel is all that has ever mattered. Even in the Mosaic Code, circumcision of heart was the key. That's what Christ, or that's what Jehovah always emphasized. Circumcision of heart. The new covenant coming in. Looking forward to the Christ who would come and accomplish the work which was prophesied of him. So we are the circumcision, Paul says. Not they, not these mutilators of flesh, but we who are truly circumcised in heart, united to Christ, God's people, God's Israel, true Jews, true Hebrews, which worship God in the Spirit. So there's three things that Paul lays forth here as what defines a true Christian. Worshiping God in the Spirit, just like Jesus says in John 4, 24. Rejoicing in Christ Jesus and having no confidence in the flesh. The Judaizers want to bring in 
earthly things, worldly things, the law, these outward deeds, and even the things they'd added to the true law that God had given. They wanted to add all these codes and commandments, commandments of men, Jesus says, that would undo the actual commands of God. They wanted outward things, fleshly things, physical things. Paul says, no, true Christians who are the true circumcision worship God in spirit, spiritual things. The soul, not merely outward, like the nation of Israel was an outward nation. Within it, Christ, or within it believers. But now in Christ, now as Christians in the new covenant, guess what? We are the people. And it's not about outward realities. It's not about an outward nation. We are citizens of heaven, as he'll get into later. And they rejoice in Christ. Because Christ has satisfied all of the commands. He's kept them all on our behalf and died in our place, drinking down the wrath of God. So we rejoice in Christ, not in our own performance. And therefore, we have no confidence in the flesh. They had confidence in mutilating their bodies, mutilating the flesh, hacking it to pieces. Christians, Paul says, have no confidence in the flesh. Whether it's just an outward thing you do, your baptism and looking to your baptism when you were an infant, looking to your circumcision in your flesh, looking to your baptism when you're at spirit camp. No. We don't look to outward realities. We look to spiritual realities. We look to Christ and what he has done. And rejoice in Him, placing no confidence in the flesh. Our outward deeds, our outward signs, nothing. Not the place you wrote in your Bible back there at Spirit Camp where it says, I got saved at this date. You don't look to that. That's not your confidence. That's fleshly confidence. We look to Christ. Whenever you're doubting your salvation, as Christians sometimes do, I don't know if I'm saved. I'm so wicked. I don't feel God's presence. Where should you look? Your works? They might be signs that, that help you navigate, but ultimately those are of no help at all. No help at all. That's confidence in the flesh. You don't look to how often you go to church. You don't look to how often you read your Bible. You look to Christ Amen. again and again and again. Amen. Are you not confident? Do you have no assurance? Look to Christ. You shall have assurance. Simply look. The pauper can look. The rich man can look. We look to Christ and Christ alone. Verse 4, he continues, Though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if any other man thinketh that he hath whereof he might trust in the flesh, I more, I more, Paul says. Now, I think it's interesting, Paul, as much as he says it's foolishness to bring up himself into the conversation, he tends to do it a lot. He's always saying, I, I hate doing this. It's foolishness. I speak as a fool. I speak as a, a man. But anyway, here's what I did and here who, here's who I am because he's combating these false teachers. And I think that it can be a very helpful thing to do when ministering to someone, when repairing a relationship between someone in the church, a fellow brother, a fellow sister, when witnessing to the gospel before unbelievers that at times it is good to point to your own testimony. What you have experienced, if it helps in pointing to the gospel. And Paul does that quite frequently. Here is a great opportunity to do it. The Judaizers say this, you need to keep the law, you need to combine law and faith, and not simply faith alone. 
works and Christ? Well, if anyone's going to have confidence in the flesh, or anyone could, it's me, Paul says. I could have done that. If somebody's going to do it, here's the guy. It would have been me. Circumcised the eighth day. So according to that Abrahamic covenant, right on time, of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, he even knew which tribe he's from, and Hebrew of the Hebrews, meaning on both his father's side and his mother's side, they were full-blooded Jews. They weren't mix and match. He was full-blooded Jew. As touching the law, a Pharisee, Meaning he knew all of the commandments of men that they'd added to the commands of God and the commands of God. He knew it in and out. He could keep the code perfectly, he says, as touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless, he says. So even in obeying that outward law, he says, you couldn't find fault in what I did. Outwardly, I kept it. Obviously, inwardly, not at all. But he kept all of those codes, all of the actual commands God gave and all these additional things they added to it. In fact, concerning zeal, persecuting the church. It's an interesting study to do in the New Testament. Jesus speaks of it also, that the days will come that they will think that they are offering service to God by killing Christians. And here Paul is, back when he was Saul, the Pharisee, killing Christians, imprisoning Christians, persecuting the church. He had great zeal for God. Zeal for God. And he thought he was offering God service by doing so. But zeal without knowledge is just foolishness. He had no knowledge of what he did. He did in ignorance, he says. He did not know that he was sinning against the Lord Jesus Christ and that the Lord Jesus Christ was the Messiah that he was looking for. Was the Savior. Was Jehovah incarnate. He had no idea. He was ignorant. So when he hears Christ's voice on the road, as you recall. Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? He goes, Lord, who are you? Who are you? He knew not the voice. But soon he did. Soon he did. And realized the folly and worthlessness of all these things he's laying out. That putting confidence in those fleshly, outward things was of no value whatsoever. And he says this in verse 7. But what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. And this is such a hard thing to do sometimes. When you find your identity even in your spiritual duties. Even in your spiritual attainments, you find possibly some identity. But I am a Christian. I have done these things. I have gone to church. I have read my Bible. I have evangelized. I have fed the poor. I have set up chairs. I have done whatever it may be. This is, this is what makes me a Christian. But I'm a moral person. How many times do we evangelize somebody, share the gospel with somebody at work or our family or school or where, wherever it may be, and they say, well, I'm a good person. Yeah, you know, I, I understand all that Jesus stuff, and maybe later in life that might be a, a good idea to look into that and maybe do it. Right now, I, I'm a generally good person. I haven't killed anyone. I haven't stolen. I don't lie very much. I'm generally a good man or good woman. That's all loss. That's all worthless in attaining any kind of spiritual standing with God. Any kind of spiritual standing with God. 
What things were gain to me, those things that I could have in the flesh said were a great gain, gave me great value. I now count loss for what? For some new things he added in? No, for Christ. For Christ. Woe is me if I preach not the gospel of Christ. Christ is his gain, not whatever he does in the flesh. He continues, Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and do count them but dung that I may win Christ. Moreover, yea, doubtless, in Greek, there's multiple particles used right here that give great emphasis to what he's saying. Best way to render that in English is probably, yea, doubtless. Even more so. But it's very emphatic. It's shocking, even. Even here in our translation, yea, doubtless. He continues on. He adds heap upon heap of, this is extreme. This is worth paying note to. And looking at, yea, doubtless, I count not just the things I thought were gain, but all things, loss, but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord. Now what is this knowledge? Is it just intellectual knowledge? Or is it experiential knowledge? Well, we would have to say that it is experiential knowledge of Christ Jesus his Lord. Because why? It played out in his life. For whom I have suffered the loss of all things. That excellency of knowledge that made everything pale in comparison to even enabled him to be willing to lose everything, lose his station in life, lose the the great advantages he had by being a Hebrew of Hebrews and all the things he laid out. Even be willing to be put to the sword if need be, placed in prison, beaten with with stones and, and rods, given the 39 lashes twice, shipwrecked, homeless, hungry, naked, all of these things... We're worth suffering for. Why? Because he was a hermit? And wanted to cast down his flesh? No. But because of the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, his Lord. That experiential knowledge of Christ, not just intellectual knowledge, allows us to move forward in this life that whatever may come, we can endure it. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me, is what Paul says. And even more so, suffering the loss of all things, I do count them but dung, that I may win Christ. Not only were they less, or even loss, compared to Christ, but refuse, rubbish, dung, compared to the excellency of knowing Christ. Do we count all things but dung? Do we count all things but actual loss in comparison to knowing Jesus Christ? Now again, that doesn't mean that you sell everything you have and, and, and move off and be a hermit and actually detest the things that you have. That's not what he's saying. Any more than Jesus is saying you actually are to act hateful to your family. No, in comparison to following Christ, in comparison to being in Christ and knowing Christ and having this excellency of knowledge of him, that they are lost that you hate them, that they are dumb to you in comparison to knowing 
Jesus Christ, your Lord. I do count them but dung, that I may win Christ. That I may win Christ. Does that mean he's earning his righteousness? No. That means he's looking forward to Christ. He's looking at Christ. He's setting his heart and his life upon Christ. Not the things of his flesh, not his possessions, not his place in society, but Christ. That I may win Christ. That I may live in such a way that is acceptable and coherent and congruent with his profession of faith. What Christ had done, willing to suffer the loss of all things, winning Christ, meaning attaining eternal life, being found in him. As he says, verse 9, And be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. Be found in him. How often do we seek out what that means to be found in him? How often do we desire to make sure that we are found in him and not found in some other thing? That's very important. Very important. It's key. It's critical. As Paul lays forward. Yea, doubtless, all things are lost. Be found in him. Our identity in him. Not in something else. Not in our marriage. Not in having children. Not in which church we attend. Not in our job. Not in our failures or our spiritual victories. But in him. Because in him we move and have our being. In him we have been predestinated from the foundation of the world. In him we are seen as blameless before God. In him, in Christ. You could sum up the theology of Paul the Apostle as en Christo, in Christ. In Christ. All things in Christ. All things holding together in Christ. He's the author and finisher of our faith. He is the one who enables us to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. As he said in the previous chapter as well. Found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ. Christ's faithfulness towards us and Christ's faithfulness in keeping the law. The faith of Christ. Christ's faith. Not our own. Even our own faith is a gift. Even our own faith is gifted to us as grace, as mercy. That's why that father, as I always bring up, could say, Lord, I believe, help thou mine unbelief. Faith is the gift of God. And the faith that we are given is the faith of Christ. The righteousness which is of God by faith, not by the law. Because he just laid out against the Judaizers that even if you do all these things, even if you be a Hebrew of Hebrews, even if you have more to boast about in, in regards to the law than anyone else, yet still it's all lost. It's dung. It's refuse compared to Christ. Verse 10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. If by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. There's that word that I always tell you to look for when reading Paul. That. That or an order that. So that. It's connecting the previous statements with what the conclusion should be. The outcome should be. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. Being made conformable unto his death. 
unto his death. What does that mean? Being found in him. Knowing him. The power of his resurrection. We have to recall that we are spiritually dead. All men are spiritually dead. Until enlivened by Christ. Resurrected by Christ. I think a place you could go to explain some of this is Galatians chapter 2. Verses 19 through 20. For I, through the law, am dead to the law, that I might live unto God. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. That's what it means to be conformed unto his death. To know the power of his resurrection. That he has raised us from the dead spiritually. Raised us from the dead spiritually. There was a time, I was actually meditating on this a couple days ago, that I did not know Christ. I can't even imagine. I can't even imagine. And you know, some of the people that I knew back then, some of my family members, this is a phase. He's but a youth, he'll grow out of it. No, I was regenerated, I was born again. I was resurrected from the dead. I was a dead man spiritually. And born again by the power of the Spirit. To be found in Him. Knowing that power of His resurrection. I know the power of His resurrection. Do you? You do. If you are Christian. You know the power of the resurrection of Christ spiritually. You've been brought from death to life. From enmity against God to His child. Crying out, our Father, which art in heaven. That's what has taken place. A new creature in Christ Jesus. So what does it mean to be experiencing the power of his resurrection? Being made conformable unto his death? Well, it means that you see yourself as living, yet dead to self. Alive in Christ. And the life that you now live is not even your own life living. It's Christ living in you. The one who loved you and gave himself for you. Gave himself for you. That you might live unto him. So you're willing to suffer. Because it's not your life but Christ. And it's not by your power that you'll be able to endure suffering. But by Christ. You obey the law and progressive sanctification walking towards him. Walking in ways that please him out of gratitude. Because it's not you living but Christ living in you. Living by faith. Again and again, even in your failings, even in your falling short, even in your sinning. That's why we have fellowship with him in our sufferings. If by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. So we talked about the power of his resurrection in our spiritual resurrection. But even more so, Paul is saying, and we should be listening, that we should be looking for the physical resurrection of our bodies the new heavens and the new earth, our glorification. Again, our salvation is so complete, so sure, because the Lamb was slain before the foundation of the world. It's already done. It's already been done. We've been justified in time because we were predestined, predestined in the decree of God unto salvation and have believed in time, being justified in time, and even now glorified. It's as good as done. It's as good as done, yet... We look forward to that glorification. It's sure. 
We have the document. We have the sign and seal of the Spirit that says we shall be with Him. We shall be raised from the dead. Just as we've been have given a foretaste now in our resurrection spiritually, so too we will be raised from the dead to rule and reign with Christ in the new heavens and the new earth. So Paul is saying, I work out my salvation with fear and trembling. I press forward so that I can ensure that having experienced the power of his resurrection by faith, that I may now attain unto the resurrection of the dead. Verse 12, not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after, if that I may apprehend that for which I for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Meaning, apprehended of Christ Jesus, he's already apprehended for it. He's already assured for his salvation. His salvation is complete and sure and final in Christ. Yet he must press on. Not as though I'm already attained. He's not saying we should separate from the world and and withdraw from it. And be hermits. No. No. He's saying because of these things that Christ has done for us, we move forward. Because we are sure that we will work out our salvation until we are finally renewed and redeemed and resurrected and glorified, therefore we press forward. So he's making sure his readers are not misunderstanding him here. He's saying, not that I already have attained. Not that I already have attained. I haven't met perfection and never shall in this life. I'm not yet physically Really glorified. It's as good as done. I might as well be glorified. But I do not yet taste and partake of that. Our bodies are not yet risen from the grave and reigning with Christ. Even in the intermediate state. That's not the end goal. When we die, if anyone dies now or has died before, or shall die soon, before Christ returns, their souls are separated from their body. Their body rots in the grave. Turns to dust. Maybe he's incinerated. Placed in a fire. The ashes laid out to sea. Their soul is in the presence of God. But one day, the power of God, that same power that rose us physically from the dead, will bring together all those parts, wherever they are scattered to, even from the four winds, and bring them back together to a living, spiritual, glorified body. A glorified body. Not as though I had already attained. Either were already perfect. Now, this should be encouraging. If Paul, with all of his spirituality, the attainments he'd made, could say, listen, not already perfect. Certainly we cannot. And that's why when I've met people who believe in perfectionism, Wesleyan perfectionism, that you can attain perfection in this life, that you can be so sanctified that you no longer sin at all. I say, well, I know you are a liar. Because Paul did not attain. Paul was not yet perfect. We are being sanctified throughout this life progressively. We are walking after him, working out our salvation with fear and trembling. Knowing that it is God who works in us both to will and to work for his good pleasure. 13. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do. Forgetting those things which are behind 
and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Combining this with verse 12, those two verses, going together with verse 12, he lays it out. I count not myself to have already done this thing. It has not yet occurred. In fact, when he logically looks at the situation, I cannot reason that I have attained, he says. Reason does not permit me to do this. I know by knowledge and logic this has not occurred. I count not myself to have apprehended. So should he not have hope? Should he feel despair? That even in all of his strivings to please Christ, who has risen him from the dead, that he he cannot attain to perfection in this life? Should he say, well, my salvation is secure. I'll kick back, relax. If I fall into sin, it is what it is. I don't need to go to church. I don't need to worry about things. I don't need to evangelize because God's got everything in control. By no means. In fact, in verse 12 there, he says, but I follow after. What does that mean? It means I pursue. I chase. Just like what the word means here is just like when a hunter is pursuing his prey. So too, he's saying, I pursue after Christ. I follow after. I chase. I hunt down that righteousness of Christ that I might be found in him. Though I have not apprehended yet, This one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. This one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind. Not that he just, I'm just going to forget about my sins I've done. I'm just going to forget about the mercies God's had on me, whatever, it doesn't matter. That's not what he's saying at all. He's saying, the mercies I've had and the sins that I've had forgiven in the past I'm not going to dwell on those and just live on yesterday's bread. I need fresh manna. I need to put fresh oil into the vessels of the temple. I need fresh pourings out of the Spirit. I need new mercies each day. I'm not going to live on yesterday's mountaintops. Rather, I'm going to press on towards the goal. I'm going to follow after God. Follow after Christ that I might might attain under the resurrection of life. That's what he's saying. I press forward, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Notice Paul's heart here, his mind, where it's at. Just like a marksman, when we go shooting, or if you've ever been shooting or, or done archery, there's a mark, there's a target. And the marksman does everything he can to make sure he hits that target. And he practices and trains until he can hit that target every time. So too, Paul's saying, I set my mark on Christ. I set my mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus, serving Him and attaining unto everlasting life, attaining to the resurrection of the dead. That's His goal. Not earth, not earthly things, but heavenly things. He's so heavenly minded that He does much earthly good. He's a good servant of this planet and the people in it. Because he's heavenly minded. Because he realizes he's a pilgrim and belongs to a different place with God. And that's his goal. 15, he continues, Let us therefore, as many as be perfect, be thus minded. Think this way. Think this way. 
as many as be perfect, perfect in Christ. Remember that because you're perfect in Christ, you have not yet attained perfection. You must press on, pursue, chase down. And if in anything ye be otherwise minded, God shall reveal even this unto you. His confidence. Confidence in his, his church here. That God is leading them. The Spirit is working on them. As a pastor, speaking with many other pastors, reading books on pastoral ministry, it's a common plight, a common thing that pastors fall into. We, wanna, we, we see an error in someone's life or something they're struggling with. We want to micromanage it. It's easy to do that. You know the answer of how to get through that. But a, a good pastor, and something that I att- try to attain to do, is trust that if he be Christian, the Holy Spirit dwelleth inside thee, and he shall lead thee, he shall guide thee, he shall bring you through. If you do not yet understand, of course teaching will occur, of course counseling, of course prayer, but ultimately we have to have trust in the power of the Holy Spirit, not just in my life, I don't have a direct line to the Holy Spirit that you don't have. And I'm not the Holy Spirit for you. And you're not the Holy Spirit for me. The Spirit will lead us and teach us and guide us into all righteousness, all conviction of sin, all attainments of knowledge, as He promised for each one of us as Christians, whether we're a public Christian or a private Christian, a lay person or a pastor. Be thus minded. Believe these things. Follow after sound teaching that he's laying forward. That's what he's saying. 16. Nevertheless, whereto we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule. Let us mind the same thing. Let us be of one mind, one heart, in pursuing after truth. However far we have attained in spiritual uh, life, spiritual progress, continue on in that. Leave behind Yesterday's attainments and continue on for more. Pursue after more. That's his point. 17. Brethren, be followers together of me and mark them which walk so as ye have us for an example. For an example. Mark them that walk after Paul's teaching and follow after him insofar as he follows Christ, as he says in other places. So, I am an example to all of you. And you are in samples to me. Insofar as any of us follows Christ, we should follow. We should never put anyone above that. We only follow people insofar as they follow Christ. But we make sure that we do follow those who have wisdom, those who have grown. A pastor's word should have weight. It should be weighed and measured. It should be tested. We're supposed to test all the spirits. But if you trust your pastor, if you've submitted to a pastor, it should have some weight. It should have some weight. It still needs to be examined, of course. But insofar as I follow Christ, follow me. Insofar as you follow Christ, I follow you. Insofar as Paul follows Christ, we follow him. 18. For many walk, of whom I have told you often, and now tell you even weeping, that they are, they are the enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is in their shame, who mind earthly things. So again, he's warning them of these false teachers, the Judaizers. The Judaizers. For many walk among you, 
who have been led astray by this false teaching, who have been caught up in this false teaching. And he says, notice, even weeping, even weeping. It is the pastor's sorrow, and here the minister's sorrow, when his people walk against the truth of the gospel, when they get caught up in error. The heart Paul has for the Philippian church is laid out here, even weeping, that there are people who have walked away with these false teachers. There are people who have been deceived by these false teachers. He's heartbroken over it. Because why? Their end is destruction. Our end is perfection and eternal life and the resurrection of the dead and attaining to the high mark of Christ Jesus, our calling of God in him. And their end is destruction. Their God is not the Lord Jesus Christ. Their God is their own belly, meaning their own passions. Often in the Bible you'll see the bowels, the belly, the, the inner, inward parts. All those mean the very essence of man. For the Hebrew mind, it was technically the kidneys and the liver. We always talk about the heart. We always talk about the heart following after Greek and European thought. For the Semitic people, they thought the kind of essence and the, the feeling and the oomph within man was in his kidneys and in his bowels. So that's what it means when he's saying bowels of Christ, bowels of mercy. That's what he's speaking about, the heart, the very essence. There, God is their belly. They care about feeding themselves. They care about satisfying the needs of the flesh. And notice how interesting it is, whose glory is their shame, who mind earthly things, how interesting it is that legalism, almost always, all false religion, all false teaching, almost always goes hand in hand with lascivious living. Does it not? So these are the Judaizers. You have to obey the law. Yet, their God is their belly. They glory in their shame. Not only do they sin in grievous ways, they actually glory in it, like in Romans 1, 32. They not only enjoy their sin, they praise their sin, and they praise it in others. This lasciviousness that comes from their legalism. But their end is destruction. They mind earthly things, which connects right with verse 20. He reminds them, here's what these false teachers end up doing. They mind earthly things. Their end is destruction. They're enemies of the cross of Christ. But our conversation is in heaven. Conversation. King James, when you see conversation, it means lifestyle, your daily habits, your way of living, manner of living, is what conversation means. What's interesting here, it's politevma, politic. That's where we get our word politic from Greek. Your politic is in heaven. Your citizenship is what that word means, is in heaven. Your conversation, your lifestyle, how you live, your identity as part of a group is in heaven. Your politic is in heaven. It is heavenly, not earthly. Set our minds on the things above where Christ is seated, who is our life. Not on things of earth. Colossians chapter 3. The first four verses lay this out for us as well. Paul expands on this there. Our conversation is in heaven, from whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change our vile body that 
it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body, according to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. So remember, when dealing with these false teachers, he's saying, who want to just focus on outward things, whether it's outward lusts and pleasures and sin, or outward keeping of laws of righteousness, and getting self-righteousness, self-made, man-made religion, whether it's either of those things, remember that your conversation, your citizenship, who you are as a living being is in heaven. Part of a community. The heavenly community. The heavenly politic. That will be the antidote for this false teaching. Why? Because it's from whence, from heaven, that we look for the Savior. We wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, in His second coming. When He shall come to set all things right. Make all things new. The new heavens, the new earth. Where He shall reign unquestioned and uncontested. Satan will be bound. And His people will be with Him. Being His people and He being their God. That's where our hope is. That's what we're looking for. And in fact, at that day, the twinkling of an eye, he shall change our vile body. Not just the sin which so easily ensnares us, that, but also the, the body that is decayed and laid in the grave. He shall change it, that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body, according to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. That is the power. That is the hope that we look to. That is our politic. That is our identity. Not found in ourselves, but found in him, dear congregation. Found in Christ. All other things, all other things pale in comparison, in fact, are dumb, Paul says. They offer no actual hope, no comfort. Only Christ does. Only Christ does. Whether things are super good in our life or really bad. Whether we have an abundance or we suffer need, Christ is enough. And that's why we press on, working out our own salvation. If we are confident of this thing, that he, be, he who began a good work in us shall bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus, from whence he will return from heaven and change our vile body into being fashioned like his glorious body, by his glorious power. Amen. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I come before thee once again, O Lord. I thank thee for who thou art, what thou hast done for us. Lord, help us to find our identity in thee, that we might live for thee in this present evil age, that we might be a blessing to those around us, to our communities, to even our nation, O Lord. Knowing that our citizenship is in heaven, that we are looking for thee to return and pressing on. Give us faith, give us grace to understand these things. Give us faith to accomplish thy will here on earth. Let us put no confidence in the flesh, but rejoice in thee, Lord Jesus. We love thee, we praise thee. In Jesus' name, amen.